Consequence Podcast Network. Okay, I have a very important question for both of you. Yes. Are you hashtag team it's Patsy or hashtag team I want your cray cray? Uh, hashtag team it's Patsy all the way because from what I can tell, hey, hey, I want your cray cray sounds like an absurd song that I don't even know fits in the timeline of the show. It sounded like Fifth Harmony or something, doesn't it? Like what year are they in? Yeah, I legit looked up when did we start using cray cray to try to figure out when this happened. Because I feel like Jessica Jones thinks we used Cray Cray a lot sooner than we did. Yeah. Um, can I be team too many Patsies? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. As long <laughs> as it goes to too many cooks. Uh, exactly. D- totally. Works for me. Yeah. I, I think we've discovered a Jessica Jones weakness, and I'm sure we'll talk about other strengths and weaknesses of Jessica Jones later in the show. But man... They don't do well with the in-universe music, do they? No. It definitely sounded like what a 40-year-old man who hasn't listened to popular music in 10 years thinks like what kids listen to. (laughs) But, I mean, it definitely looked like a music video from about two and a half years ago. Yeah. And they were like, you know, the the song title. That's the only lyrics we need, right? I guess so. Yeah. I mean, I don't think we were supposed to think it was good. The people in the club, though, was pretty great. Yeah, well, I mean, alcohol. Yeah, true. And other things. As I was saying about... You know, things that suck. Welcome to TV Party. That is what we call um, asking for compliments, fishing for compliments. I don't know. It's not actually that. Uh, I just didn't have a transition in mind. So here we are. Uh, This is TV Party, a podcast of the Consequence Podcast Network. And I am Allison Shoemaker. I'm Clint Worthington. And I'm Kate Kulzik. And poor Kate Kulzik is coming to us through a haze of cold medicine, which I think is probably the best way to talk about some of the shows we're going to talk about this week. I was going to say, outside chance, Kate, you get superpowers. Hey, you know what? Fun. I will use them uh, sparingly and probably inefficiently. Yeah. (laughs) Just stay away from inhalers, because that seems to be very dangerous. Yeah. So we are going to switch up the order a little bit this week, because it so turns out that our late night last week this week report is kind of linked to what we want to talk about news wise so we're going to get right into our consensus episode of the week which we're doing a group of episodes and that would be the first three ish we'll say episodes of the second season of jessica jones marvel's jessica jones now on netflix um for people who haven't gotten that far into the series yet don't worry we're going to be pretty light on the spoilery talk but we are going to talk through the big reveal that comes in the midpoint of the season after we've done the regular episode so if you've hauled your way through episode seven um you can listen to us discuss that particular twist uh after we talk about all the other tv stuff this week but first maybe we can all sort of give an idea of how many episodes we've seen i um reviewed this for rogerebert.com and they provided five episodes to press so i've seen the first seven i was able to slip in two more on thursday so i've seen the first seven what about you clint as of last night i'm finished with episode seven all right and kate what about you oh i've been doing nothing but staring blankly around so i've finished all of it (laughs) that's your superpower (laughs) there you go (laughs) so that's about how much we've seen i promise we will all try to 
not color our opinions on these first early episodes based on the season as a whole, but it is pretty tough. If you're looking for episode-specific commentary, I would gleefully direct you to the AV Club, where our pal and rotating co-host Caroline Sita is feverishly, or I guess has now finished feverishly, uh, <laughs> reviewing every individual episode. She did the first half on Thursday and the second half on Friday. So she has had a long weekend already and it's, <laughs> you know, we're recording at 9 a.m. on a Saturday. So, um, <laughs> so guys, what do you think about this first little chunk of the long awaited second season of Jessica Jones? Well, when we did our, like our previous episode on the Marvel TV universe, you sort of, you were accurate in your assessment of the first few episodes and that they're a little slow. It takes a while to kind of get going and, and, and Kate, I definitely feel your concern or that you voiced last time about uh, the show moving on sort of without it, the villain from season one from Kilgrave. And, but then again, I think one of the strengths of the show is that it is leaning into that and kind of Jessica is also trying to figure out who she is and where she goes from here. So yeah, it's a little slow, but uh, I mean, I mean, for these first three episodes, I think it's building up something interesting. Yeah, I liked the beginning of the season and the way it, it started. Like you guys, you know, all said, um, the absence of Kilgrave is potent, but I think that's good. I think that's what it should be, and it's hard to for me to kind of separate out the cinematography and the the set and lighting and costuming design choices for of the show because it's so purple is that supposed to be jessica or is that kilgrave because for me he's the purple man right so when you get all these like the there's a there's a painting that shows up at a certain point in the season that has a lot of purple in it there there's a lot of purple lighting and 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 shadows and everything uh so for me that's just like an omnipresent reminder of him and and his effect on on Jessica and where she's coming from at the start of the season, like what she's still grappling with. It's a big theme of the season. And I think we should feel his absence. We should feel like a little off center from what we were used to last season. So I think the this, the season starts out slowly, but three episodes in, it feels like it's going somewhere. And I, I enjoyed the start of the season. Uh, I did too. You know, it, I, there was this odd thing where for me, it was this balance of doing a lot, making sure that with this huge shift in balance of what was going on with the season, with the series, with the, um, you know, the death of Kilgrave, um, they sort of made sure to give everybody something um, and to give Trish quite a lot of somethings um, while still moving pretty slowly. And that was both really interesting to me and a little bit strange as a viewer. Um, it never bothered me when we were focused on Jessica um, and on really any storyline that was touching what was going on with her directly because Kristen Ritter is so damn good. And this might be a good point to transition into the, oh my God, Kristen Ritter is so damn good conversation. But I did occasionally get a little frustrated with um, sort of darting off, particularly into all of the things they were attempting to give Trish. It felt like a course correction from the first season where she didn't have all that much to do other than worry about Jessica and date Nuke, which was not a storyline I was super into. And uh, that return was not my favorite. <laughs> Perhaps more bewildering because it was so brief. Yeah. Um, like, at that point, do you, why bring him back at all and I understand thematically why but it felt like a very strange thing anyway point being um, my overall impression was one of like a little 
chaos and a little hesitance, but um, mostly an effort to center on this incredibly uh, thoughtful, affecting central performance. And um, damn, I just think Kristen Ritter is very good at her job. To the point where I almost kind of don't have much to say about Kristen Ritter. She's just sort of taken as fact that she is amazing. Um, but I do I do want to touch on the supporting characters a little bit. I do agree that the, the, the Trish stuff is it's running in circles a little bit. I'm still trying to figure out like when is the moment when she's going to actually become, you know, her other her superhero persona or her sidekick. Um, but I am actually really enjoying what they're doing with Malcolm now that he is free of his addiction and they sort of they settle on those things where he is Jessica's unwilling apprentice or he's willing, but she isn't always having to keep his hands busy to uh and then there's new characters like Price Chang, played by Terry Chen, who I've long been a fan of. Uh, he's also in The Expanse. He shows up in the second season of The Expanse. And he's also on the new season of Unreal. And he's also just ridiculously attractive. He's a very handsome man. Uh, and I think he brings a weird sort of fly in the ointment to the second season. I like where he starts out, and I think it's a good addition. For me, I don't know if, how you guys felt about this. For me, these episodes really blurred together. That might be the cold meds. Yeah. But so I want to make sure I don't say anything that could be spoilery. So, yeah, I, I think he's a good addition. I like him. Um, I also absolutely agree. I, I really appreciate the focus on Malcolm that we get. It's not a lot, but compared to the previous season, which was so tied in with Kilgrave, they do more uh, stuff with Malcolm and his where he's at autonomously, not tied in necessarily with the larger arc or a villain or something like that. They'll kind of. We get a better sense of who he is uh, right now, and I, I really appreciate that. I think that's like, if I had to pick one most improved element of the show, it's definitely Malcolm in season two. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think his insistence on just sort of steadily always being there, but making sure that that's a trait that's not just like a puppy dog little brother situation, but where he's also gets, getting something out of it is really smart. And the most effective moment in those first three episodes for me is easily after Wizard has uh, knocked her Jessica's brother's ashes all over the floor and been killed. Um, the moment when... Malcolm comes in and Jessica is sitting on the floor and she says don't step on him and they have that conversation about her brother as he starts to try to clean up I thought that was just a lovely lovely scene and a real indication of how good this show can be at its best yeah I totally agree I think it's a really good idea between Trish and Malcolm and maybe one or two other characters to surround Jessica who's a very self-destructive person who catches herself in patterns to be surrounded by people who are trying their best to be good people. And I think that really, that that contrast really makes for some nice nice drama and sort of points out her own character flaws that she needs to work on in an unobtrusive way. There's a fun question that I've been sort of turning around in my head, which Kate probably can't answer as she has finished the season. But Clint, I am curious about what you think it is that they're doing with Griffin based on what we see of him in the first three episodes. It seems like the series is occasionally going out of its way to make it look like he's actually a bad guy, but they're going so far out of their way to do that that at first I was like, oh, well, obviously this is a ruse. They're going to, this is a fake out. He's actually just okay. But then it goes even further than that. And then now I'm thinking, oh, well, maybe they're making us think that he must be okay because it's so obvious when actually he's probably actually a snake somehow. I'm curious your perspective on that, on just what we see in those first three episodes. Okay, so uh, this may be this may reveal my ignorance. Who's Griffin? 
the uh, Trisha's boyfriend. Oh yes, Griffin. That's right. I, I'm so far in the season that I've completely forgotten that he existed. Yeah, it did kind of seem in the beginning that he was going to become a bigger deal, mostly because of the British accent and just in a Marvel TV show, and especially Jessica Jones. I just don't trust a British accent. So uh, there was an extent to which he was kind of criminally supportive. Uh, I I'm, I keep thinking of the uh, the scene where Jess wakes him up by calling Trisha's phone at four in the morning and instead of being mad at her like he's the perfect boyfriend to sort of deal with her deal with his girlfriend's sort of self-destructive friend so having him be that sort of beacon of light made me feel like there was going to be a fake out coming but I kind of feel like at this point uh he's just a red herring and he's just gone from the show okay question it seemed like super over the line to answer her phone like that (laughs) right is that just me because she was not, she's not waking up. I don't know. Like, don't answer, don't answer your significant other's phone. Let it go to voicemail. <laughs> okay. Like, uh, I, mean, I don't know. What do you, what yeah. do you guys think about that? Uh, no, I'm with you. I think yeah. um, it's the timeline is a little unclear, so it's hard to figure how long they've been dating. Long enough that they're considering moving in together, but n- not so long that we knew anything about him prior to the start of the season. So I think there's a point when you're in an intimate relationship with someone where it is appropriate to answer their phone, especially if a call is coming in at a time when that call is probably an emergency, but it seems a little early for that. Yeah, yeah I think they were trying to have that. Sh- demonstrate to us how close they are and how like serious this relationship is and all in like that that Jessica doesn't respond you know negatively to that you know mm-hmm. but uh, for me I was like you haven't earned that you guys seem like you've barely been dating this is not cool I agree there well is there anything else before we move on and then return to Jessica Jones at the end of the episode that we want to touch on other new characters um, the new path for Jerry, any of that I was gonna stuff? Say, yeah, I was going to say, we should talk about Jerry. She goes on a lot, of, a very dramatic turn, especially in those first couple episodes. Like, I don't know, I, I first, for me, uh, I'm still waiting to see how it turns out for Jerry, but uh, the, that first episode reminded me of The Defenders because we also, once again, have a morally complicated, almost villain character in the show uh, that has been diagnosed with a terminal illness and trying to figure out what to do with that. But I think that Carrie Ann Moss is, is, she's owning all those scenes. And I think it was episode two in particular was a really, really adventurous move for them to her just lean into the you only live once element of of finding out you have a, a terminal illness. But uh, I'm really, really curious to see where they take that storyline. Kate, what did you think? I know where they take that storyline, so I will <laughs> not comment on that. <laughs> but I will, I will say that no, I, I also liked uh, what they do here at the beginning. It's a bold move for that character, especially if you're theoretically an open-ended show and it's handy to have a really great lawyer around. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens universe-wise with Jerry. But I think Carrie Ann Moss is really killing what they're giving her to do, and I think it's a, a smart choice in the fabric of the larger season-long conversation about um, you know, Jessica being so focused on and trying to deal with having killed Kilgrave, and is she a killer, is she a hero or a villain or just a person, that looming obsession the season has with with death and responsibility and preciousness of life and who deserves that and who gets to decide so adding you know for jerry this this terminal diagnosis the show doesn't necessarily connect the dots for you on that but if you're the kind of person who wants to really consider all the different ramifications of these characters and you know we all are um Mm -hmm. that's it's a nice extra layer to that conversation 
And we haven't talked about the the other new major character, which is uh, Oscar, the new super. I guess three episodes in, he doesn't really make much of an impression, other than I guess the the show implies he's racist towards super powered people. Though we find you know we find out that may not necessarily be the case. But it seems like between him and Terry Chen and Eka Darville getting more to do, they're they're very much upping the beefcake quotient on this season, which I'm all for. Yeah, I um I'm not sure how well jessica jones is threading the needle for the idea that there are people out there who are prejudiced against superpowered people it feels like that's this kind of storyline that belongs on x-men and not and jessica jones which has always been a much more character focused intimate story it also seems kind of at odds with what they're doing with igh Mm-hmm. So I didn't really feel that, but um, but I was interested in Oscar uh, mostly just because I like um, that actor a lot, J.R. Ramirez, and that kid. He's <laughs> so cute. Kevin, I think his name is Kevin Chechon, is the uh-huh. actor's name, uh, is adorable <laughs> um, and so fun. And yeah, I just really uh, enjoyed getting to spend some time with him. It's probably the clunkiest writing, though, so far in those first three episodes. It's like, mm-hmm. why, hello, future romantic foil. Like, I mean, come on. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I agree. Um, although it's one of my, the show is doing a really nice job at being playful with her abilities and how she interacts with the world in this season. It's always been good at that, but I feel like especially in season two, they're having a lot of fun with it, particularly at the beginning of, gosh, I think it's episode three, where uh, she throws something into the ocean where they're at the shore, which was really fun. Uh, but watching her pick up the refrigerator was just such a delight. I think the people who do the production design and the set dressing and the props construction on that show must have a really good time while they're making things, like playfully tossing styrofoam refrigerators to each other and like <laughs> picking up these enormous heavy things that they're building for Kristen Ritter. And, and just I hope they have incredible Instagram feeds. I hope they had a lot of fun with the wizard effects. <laughs> just having the guy just sort of shuffle down the street and then just blur it a bit to make him look fast. Yeah, that was that felt like whatever we do, it can't look like the Flash. So let's just come up with something else. Speed Force. Um, yeah, right. yeah, it was a little odd. All right, well, we are going to return to Jessica Jones and talk about uh, the role that Janet McTeer is playing, who at this point in the series, if you've watched through episode three, is just showing up. And is unnamed. I think they refer to her as the killer. But I am excited to get into her role at the end of the episode. So if you've watched uh, through episode 7 of Jessica Jones, please hang out after and we'll get into that a little. But now I think it's perhaps time to talk about our individual picks. Yay. Clint, what did you pick for this in my heart of hearts, uh, I would pick Legends, but uh, I'm kind of a broken record at that point, and Kate, I know you loved it, so uh, my actual pick is Grownish. Uh, this first 10 episodes, they've been really finding a nice groove, and their most recent episode, It's Hard Out Here for a Pimp, uh, was actually really, really insightful. It, it evokes Blackish in the same way that it effortlessly blends this ensemble comedy with uh, little nuggets of social commentary. And uh, the subject du jour in this particular episode is addressing racial bias in dating. You know, uh, Zoe's a little bit out of this storyline. She sort of has just a B-plot with, uh, oh, uh, Luca, uh, the art student, as they go off and do their own thing. They have their own little subplot. But the main plot 
sort of centers around Chloe and Hallie, who, uh, you know, are on the show and also created the theme song, uh, dealing with this idea of an unspoken racial hierarchy in college dating, especially on dating apps. And they they throw out statistics like Blackish does about how 82 percent of black men tend to not date black women. It all ends up just sort of crystallizing into this this really interesting series of conversations about the racial blind spots that uh, these different characters have, depending on what they prefer to date, or at least on the surface, and the frustration that uh, that black women can often feel with these stereotypes going against them. And I think it's a really it's a really interesting series of conversations. They manage to keep it light and funny, but also very cutting and and real. Yeah, I just I really really enjoyed that that episode. I'm behind on Grownish. I have to get up on that because I like her so much and I'm a big blackish fan and Freeform is doing some they're picking some really interesting stories to tell yeah. particularly for young women um so yeah I've got to I've got to get current on Gronish all right so Kate are you up to date on Gronish yeah, I uh, enjoyed this week's episode quite a bit, and I think it's an excellent pick, Clint. Um, especially after look reading today in Variety that um, ABC and Blackish pulled one of their episodes for being like too political or too controversial, uh, wow. which. The description sounds awesome, too, so I really hope that gets released at some point, even just like on a DVD or something. But um, it, it's nice to have another spin on, on that show, and I feel like Gronish has proven itself to be a, a good successor to, to Blackish. It feels like its own show, but it also feels very much of a piece, so I think they've threaded that needle very well. Um, we're talking about with different political and social commentary based on the characters' experiences and really... You know, I, I, I'm, I'm a nerd, so I'm going to always appreciate a statistic based uh, episode. <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was a fun episode. And it all it got me sort of on board the the uh, Luca sh- like ship train there. So we'll see. Yeah, there's definitely a music cue near the end of their particular subplot where like where Zoe sort of leans into his different approach to art, you know, that I thought like. Oh wait, are they going to start making out now? Like, no, no wait, they're just going to get on with the business at hand. There's, there's a meaningful glance though towards yeah. the end of that one scene. Yeah, yeah, there's the potential there. But that's this episode in particular, in addition to just the strength of their discussions of this particular issue, proved to me that the show isn't just the Yara Shahidi show. Like, I, I feel like the the rest of the ensemble really stepped up to the plate and just sort of trusting them to handle the major sort of thematic legwork without Zoe. I thought, I thought was really, really cool. Yeah, and a good spotlight for the rest of the cast, like mm-hmm. you said. Uh, I can't wait to get caught up on that one. I'm a big fan of hers and that show. I got distracted because I was trying to read about this shelled blackish episode. It sounds so cool. Yeah, maybe it'll show up on Hulu. Uh, that'd be great, but maybe I, I I'll have know. to look that up too. Given our creative differences, neither ABC nor I were happy with the direction of the episode and mutually agreed not to air it. Yeah. Well, anyway, Clint, what was your pick for this week? Oh, it was Gronish. That was the pick. Sorry, Kate, what was your pick for this week? I picked Legends of Tomorrow and No Country for Old Dads, which, (laughs) yes, I know we just talked about Legends last time I was on, but I like this episode even more than that one. Yeah, They're on a real streak this season. It's so fun. Absolutely. And and what they're doing with these last few episodes that I think is so smart is focusing, like really centering 
the last three episodes on underserved characters. So this is like the Ray episode. So mm-hmm. last week we we had the Amaya episode with finally we got some stuff with her without Nate, which was I think good. And the week before, of course, was the Zari episode. So this one is is all just Ray being such a Boy Scout and so <laughs> hilarious while being held hostage and tortured by the Darks, but still like operating as like their therapist and and life coach <laughs> at the same time. It's ridiculous and like just it's just so much fun it's so much fun. It's so much fun neil mcdonough is having the time of his damn life it's just so yeah this is like it's not quite piggy bank levels of, of neil mcdonough amazingness but it's really close this is not the like spoiler this is not the only time in this episode that i'm gonna make this comparison but never in a million years if you had asked me to predict what RuPaul's drag-esque praise I would be heralding and at what show, I would never have said Legends of Tomorrow is doing RuPaul's (laughs) Drag Race better than RuPaul's Drag Race. But it is, and it's because part of what makes drag so exciting is that the entire pop culture world is their toolbox right like that is part of drag is bringing in a little of this and a little of that and this reference and that reference and creating something new and that's totally what legends is doing the fact (laughs) that they're willing to sort of dive into these different cultural places to come up with weird funny stories is just it it's just so much fun and the fact that they seem to be leaning into that even harder this year is really exciting and Kate I absolutely agree it feels like in terms of their approach to the underserved characters it feels like they are course correcting to make sure that we understand who everybody is and how they function and where they fit in the team. And I think that's so smart because the whole point is that it's supposed to be this band of misfits. And if some of them are a little vague or underdeveloped, or if some of them seem too similar to others, then that is not as much fun to watch. So giving these actors a chance to sort of try their hand at different things and work out the corners of these people that they're inhabiting, I think is really, really smart and great. I loved this episode. I'm a little bit worried about next week's uh, just because I am not generally a fan of person plays other famous person who we know really well, especially on television time travel shows. Like it always ends up feeling like the impression is way more important than anything else. And there's just not enough time in a TV show for me to spend thinking about how good your Elvis impression is, say, um, (laughs) or your Winston Churchill impression. So I'm a little bit worried about it, but at the same time, they've earned so much goodwill from me at this point that I feel like they can do pretty much anything. (laughs) Right. And one thing that we, that sort of gets uh, swept under the rug is just how good in general, I think the, uh, the action team is on, on the Arrowverse shows, especially Arrow in this. It's, it's always really goofy action, but they always find really inventive things to do. I'm specifically thinking here of that constant, well, push and pull of, uh, (laughs) of future Damien Dark having to hold his daughter up uh, from falling to to her death while past Damien is unknowingly trying to kill his future self. Um, Just that wonderful back and forth that she keeps bobbing up and down uh, trying to catch her is just so much fun. Uh, Whenever we talk about Legends, I get a weird smile on my face. We we should also just talk quickly about Wally because he, of course, fits so well into the show just immediately it's mm-hmm. it's a very refreshing new burst of energy for the show and and i really am excited to see what comes next he's, here. he's so much better served in two episodes here than he was in like a, a season of the flash <laughs> and i think we're finding a good balance of how often to use rip 
too. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm really glad that he's not back on the ship. He's just popping in every other episode or so. I agree. Um, I love Arthur Darville, but he always felt... Well, I mean, it always felt like they were trying to turn like an Arrowverse show into Doctor Who. And that's not just because he has this Doctor Who connection, but, you know, that's certainly a part of it. Instead, where he's this, he's the former captain here. He's a former director there and he just can't get it together and like doesn't know how to conduct himself in an appropriate way um, is really, really interesting. And the little hook at the end, having Gideon delete a certain file because Sarah can never know the truth about Ava, I thought was a really ominous but fun stinger to end on. Um, I also want to talk about, and it's going to take me just a second to find her, there we go, to talk about Courtney Ford as Nora Dark, who I liked so much in this episode. I was not super interested in Nora until we started seeing young Nora, who I found very interesting. But here, watching her sort of waffle between this person, she used to be this person who used to really like Ray, but then Ray basically attempted to kill her. And she so she's dealing with the daddy issues and all of that. It was so fun and funny. But never in a million years did I think I would feel kind of like a yay triumphant moment about her corrupting that totem. And yet that's totally what happened. <laughs> I wanted to cheer when she had taken over this totem. And then, of course, the realization of what that means for the world and the world of legends comes crashing back. And I thought that was such a fun, playful, uh, smart reversal. Yeah, I'm really glad in addition to fixing the tone issues of season one, they more or less fixed their villain issues from season one where Vandal Savage was a nothing villain. But season two with the Legion of Doom and then just centering on Damien and padding that ensemble out with Nora. And I think they're doing really interesting stuff with the with her, I think is amazing. Um, but I think the real the real highlight of the episode for me was knowing that uh, the now former head of the time agency was on his way way to stop the real Alexander Hamilton from seeing Hamilton the musical. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that was a fun little moment and obviously connects to something else we're going to be talking about later. Mm -hmm. Uh, I also really loved I Hate Speedsters. That made me laugh really hard. (laughs) (laughs) That was nice. Yeah, uh, one episode in, he learns a lesson from Mick. So we know he's going to fit in. A little light thievery is uh, acceptable. Or was it Nate? Yeah. Either way. It was just a really fun episode and I'm really excited to see where else they go. Uh, We say this every time, but I still can't believe that the Arrowverse show I am most reliably entertained by and most likely to watch live is Legends of Tomorrow. I don't even know how that's possible. I write about Arrow. I write about Arrow every week and I'm always more excited about (laughs) Legends. (laughs) We'll return to the Arrowverse a little bit later too, I think, Uh, but I think this would be a good time to transition into this week's Last week, this week, where we talk about one. Oh, really did you not do thing. your pick? Oh, god damn! I, guys, I have coffee and I have been neglecting it. Here is my <laughs> pick. I went with something really predictable, and I don't care. It's the second episode of the second season of Atlanta Robin season called Sportin' Waves," um, which is a pretty relaxed episode after the unbelievable tenseness of the previous week. But at the same time, it's just it's it's just an episode in which everybody gets got. And so that's also really stressful. I don't know how they how it is that they've mastered this tone where you're watching an episode of Atlanta and it feels 
not quite meandering or lazy, but um, fluid. It feels like you just kind of drift through whatever the runtime of that current episode is. And yet the entire time you're sort of tensed like a coiled spring. And this is another really great example of that. I think that all of the stories work really well, but I was particularly struck by Donald Glover's performance near the end of the episode when he realizes, oh wait, I probably shouldn't have traded this cash for a shady did either of you watch it? Am I the only one who's seen it? No, I'm right there with you. I, it's it's, okay. it's really hard to watch Earn be so stupid. So stupid. And then they remind Very you that he went to, went to Princeton and you're like, what on earth? He has this cat. He has $4,000 cash and he gives it to somebody in exchange for an incredibly dubious gift card. Like, wh- why? Why on earth anyone would ever do anything like that is totally bewildering to me. Um, So I thought Donald Glover was really excellent, particularly in that half of the episode. But I also had these, uh, we'll call them delightful flashbacks to working at a certain enthusiastically playful Chicago-based tech company um, that wants to be like, not like a regular office, it's like a cool office when they were touring the like Spotify stand-in that they were at. because, oh my God, I just, it was short, like two LaCroix stands and, um, and that was pretty much all we were going to, or in some giant cats, but that's pretty much all it needed. Um, we would come into the building and, um, the building in which our office was housed would have brought in like all for one and all for one would just be singing in the lobby for no reason. And that's what it felt like watching, Al have to stand on that stage and get ready to do his song for this blase pack of tech employees. Um, and also calling that guy, having his employees call him 35 Savage made me laugh really hard. Kate, what did you think of this one? I thought it was terrific. And uh, the, you know, I really was following Albert throughout this episode because, like I said, it's so hard to watch Ern just be such a freaking idiot. Um, but, like, that opening scene... The opening robbery is amazing. And then uh following out through that like performance and and oh god, yeah, no, it's it's really it's a really strong episode. That we you haven't even talked about the um interview that the buddy who's recently out of jail uh was was going for and like having to bake his hair and everything like it was a really interesting and fun episode that uh yeah i look forward to this whole season based on this it was a terrific first season but these first two episodes of the second season have just been off and different enough that they feel really distinct and still really uh really strong really interesting so yeah looking forward to the rest of the season um it's not technically a part of atlanta but adding to the experience of watching it were two incredibly trippy legion promos (laughs) Like, I just couldn't. Um, I love those Legion I'm promos. So, I'm so excited for Legion to come back. And the f- and they must be very jazzed about the season because they are really going all out in these nutsy, nutsy promos. So jumping back and forth between this sort of quietly surreal but very human series that Donald Glover is leading us down this path to these trippy, like, M.C. Escher paintings 
that they're using for these <laughs> Complete with uh, crazy dance breaks. Yeah. yeah. Um, I just was enjoying the tension there. Um, so, yeah. So, that was my pick, Atlanta Sport and Waves. And now we will actually go to last week, this week. Kate, let's let's talk about the Fallon segment. Well, Weird Al, um, of course, he does his polkas of, of medallies of different pop hits. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of his... Uh, favorite genres as an accordion player. So he put together a Hamilton polka, which is, you know, instead of a medley of different songs, it's just all the different Hamilton songs or a bunch of the different songs from Hamilton. And that was released like in the last week or two. And then on Fallon, um, they had uh, Weird Al and Lin-Manuel Miranda come on to lip sync to the polka, which was crazy fun. And uh, it took me on this YouTube spiral of finding <laughs> out that that actually Lynn Manuel Miranda and Weird Al are like good buds now, and that uh, Miranda like grew up loving Weird Al and saw him when he was like like ten, like a tween or something, and then his you know all these years later they're they're buds. They found out that they had were getting stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame at the same time when they were at lunch, uh, and then they also put out Fallon also put out a video of. Um, Jimmy Fallon and the uh, Memo Miranda like listening to the the polka for the first time and reaction. So like this, I wanted a whole YouTube spiral with these, but it was delightful. <laughs> yeah, I um, first of all, the Hamilton polka is amazing. It's pretty great. Um, yeah. If you haven't listened to it, it's really delightful. Um, it goes on much longer than you expect, but every turn it takes is somehow better than the last one. Um, and it's my favorite and Peggy. Also, which I wrote, the which I wrote is just top tier. Anyway, um, what's so delightful about it is I sort of miss the days when the thing you could reliably turn to Jimmy Kimmel for was people who are really enjoying themselves doing something they really enjoy. So, you know, like singing with the roots in their dressing room or doing something else really fun and silly where they're obviously having the best time. Um, And I feel like that has become a lot less important and, you know, kind of tainted since the 2016 election. Um, But when he just brings people together to be enthusiastic about something and kind of gets out of the way, that can be a lot of fun to see. And that's totally what this segment was. Um, Those two people, Lin-Manuel Miranda and Weird Al Yankovic, could not have been having a better time. They obviously loved being together. They obviously love this polka. And it was it's just such a pleasure to watch them have such a good time um i read this somewhere i don't remember where that uh lin-manuel miranda did not hear the hamilton polka until it was completed he didn't hear any of it um weird al made it all by himself and like and he knew it was coming obviously and was teasing its release but he didn't hear any of it until it was completed and you could sort of even though that was obviously before they were on the air he wasn't listening to it for the first time on the air um you could see that enthusiasm like you could see the joy that this person is feeling that he's created something (laughs) that um people that he idolized as a child are now finding ways to react to and create new things. And I think that that is just amazing. It's also, this is a very mild spoiler for A Wrinkle in Time, but there's, I had a very similar thought when watching A Wrinkle in Time because uh, I think it's Mrs. Uh, who speaks in quotations. I Yeah. Yeah. That's Mrs. Who. Yeah. It's uh, Mindy Kaling. Anyway, she, um, 
uses a quote from Hamilton at one point because they've updated a lot of these quotes. And immediately I could picture Lin-Manuel Miranda either finding out or seeing for the first time (laughs) that there was a quote from Hamilton in A Wrinkle in Time and losing his mind. Like you could just picture it. You know exactly what that would look like because he has um, experienced so much of that at this point in front of us. So uh, Clint, I can't recommend it highly enough. You have to watch. Yeah, no, I feel like a bad Weird Al fan for not not seeing it, especially as someone who literally co-hosts a podcast with a guy who wrote the book on Weird Al. I, I feel like it, I'm owed or I owe it to them to watch this. <laughs> you know, Limuel Miranda and Weird Al, especially Miranda, but both of them are just like these beacons of sunshine and mm-hmm. joy. And that's the kind of person that Fallon should be doing this with, you know, not Donald Trump. So <laughs> that, that, that for me was a big break in my ability to enjoy Fallon yeah. as, yeah. as a personality, as a host, and as uh, just a late night presence. Uh, and like, dude, if this is going to be your lane, this is staying in your lane. Don't. <laughs> don't normalize. Don't normalize. A, well, I don't want to yeah, get into a won't. whole thing, but yeah. don't, don't take very problematic figures with like decades history of racism and bigotry and try to make them cuddly. Take Lin-Manuel Miranda and Ruffle Weird, Weird Al. Al's hair, that's fine. Yeah, no, don't you touch Weird Al's hair. <laughs> yeah, don't touch right. those luscious. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but um, but this is this is how you do that and make it uh wonderful and joyful and absolutely like this is what Fallon is best at, and mm. the other hosts would have been good with this, but not as good as Fallon. So like, thumbs up for this. I whoever yeah. is doing his booking should just completely course correct and try to go all like Chrissy Teigen, mm-hmm. Lin-Manuel Miranda, Oscar Isaac, like get every internet boyfriend and girlfriend you can and leave <laughs> basically everyone else. Rachel Bloom, get Rachel Bloom on. That is fine with me. Like um, Kristen Bell, these people who have a lot of warmth and charisma and are obviously enjoying at least some part of the experience of being famous. Mark Hamill, get Mark yeah. Hamill, absolutely. But not, certainly not political figures and I guess not people where you, you've got to kind of like dig into it to make it interesting. Like I don't want, I don't even, I'm not interested at this point at all in turning to Jimmy Fallon for anything resembling substance. Like not even a little. I will absolutely take Adina Menzel in her dressing with room with the roots, singing Let It Go while they play children's instruments. That I will take. But like, I will take this. I will take lip syncing to the Hamilton polka. Um, I'm going to take a hard pass on anything more substantive. Yeah, if, if Jimmy Fallon's brand is going to be being the fun ape political uncle then he needs to lean into it yeah I, I totally agree well that ended up being like kind of a jimmy fallon sick burn for a segment i really enjoyed <laughs> but <laughs> whoops. um that makes for a nice transition into our news of the week because there was some great lin-manuel miranda tv news as well um have either of you read the his dark materials books no i saw the daniel craig movie Ugh. yeah yeah, so the the book in the United States called The Golden Compass was made into a movie a while back with Daniel Craig and Nicole Kidman and honestly like a um a really good cast. Um and then they made a really bad movie um that completely stomped the entire spirit of this wonderful challenging book for young people out. Um and that is a real crime because it's an 
in, incredibly compelling world and a very unusual story for children um, that deserves a worthy adaptation. And now it seems like there's a chance that we're going to get one because the BBC has announced that it is doing a mini series. And uh, there were some casting announced this week. One of them, as you can probably guess, is Lin-Manuel Miranda, who'll be playing Lee Scoresby, who is a grizzled Texan, which seems kind of odd, but I actually think is really perfect. Uh, and then Daphne Keene of Logan will be playing Lyra, which I think is just amazing. Uh, and Tom Hooper of some good movies and some not so good movies uh, will be directing. And it's a very promising start to what is certain to be a lengthy rollout of casting and creative news for this series and i'm curious to know what you guys think and if you're as excited as i am i don't know i mean i guess because i guess i'm sort of maybe ironic to say this but i'm kind of agnostic about the golden compass series but i mean i mean i think the the cast is pretty interesting i i'm ever i was blown away by daphne keen and logan i think she'll make a really good i mean she's playing the lead right and i think uh in this post game of thrones world i think it's a really good idea to turn these big ambitious books into tv shows or miniseries as opposed to movies so you can give the narrative that much more room to breathe so like yeah i mean i'm just i'm generally interested yeah the best news of all of this for me is the miniseries that this is going to be a miniseries because then it can get the time that you would need to really embrace this world it's such a fascinating and well imagined world that taking that you know not trying to do the whole thing in two hours or in like two two hour movies you know um i think is is a much better call and i'm really excited because it's also very episodic the the book they they go on a journey so then they're here and then they're here and then they're there so like it would work very well i think in a miniseries so i'm excited for that um the part of the scoresby character that uh, wasn't mentioned yet is that he's a balloon adventurer <laughs> so like <laughs> grizzled texan yes harder to see miranda for that but balloon adventurer absolutely totally. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> yeah yeah i agree that the the most promising thing about it is that it's a mini series and not a tv movie um there's a pretty great tradition of uh great novels being adapted into great mini series um both in the u.s but especially in the uk by the bbc yeah yeah so i yeah. am really really excited to see what comes of this and it seems pretty evident that they're getting ready to spend an incredible amount of money so um so that's also really promising um it was not the only bit of casting news this week though um or i guess development news um we also got word of yet another white guy getting ready to helm an adventure in the star wars universe and they yeah. announced it on International Women's Day. Like, seriously. God, they yeah. did, didn't they? Ugh. The day before, the day after, not, oh, God. Anyways. Yeah. Just wait. Wait a day. Um, yeah, and is John Favreau going to helm, he's going to helm a, a live-action Star Wars series for what we can only presume is Disney's streaming service that they will do in, in 2019. Um, I've written about this at COS before. Like, basically, the the, the thinking is that they'll either basically take over Hulu or they'll branch out and do their own individual streaming show. But uh, yeah, this is once again, like Disney's desire to just milk this brand for everything that they can. Cause we already have like what, like two new trilogies of movies that are non Skywalker related. And then this new live action star Wars show throwing it to John Favreau, which yes, white guy, but I guess, I guess they're, he's leaning off of his jungle book clout in terms of directing big effects driven stuff for Disney and making a lot of money. So yeah, I mean, I like Star Wars as much as the next guy, but like, I kind of don't care. 
Yeah, no, I, I don't either. <laughs> I would like to care, but I just, he doesn't have a ton of TV experience, which does not mean that he's not suited to television. Um, it, it doesn't. Showrunners are not always writers, but are typically most often writers. And mm-hmm. it's not as though John Favreau has never written anything good in his life. He has. Uh, he also wrote Chef. I, I just don't I just don't understand it. I don't understand the thinking behind deciding to bring a live action Star Wars series to television. And if you're going to go with a white guy, not going with somebody where you can go like, well, I mean, it's really hard to say shit against they would never do this, but David Simon, right? First of all, mm-hmm. I mean, that would never happen, but how interesting would that be? <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> right? I would totally watch yeah? The Wire in space. Totally. But um, if they brought in uh, a showrunner with like a fascinating, proven track record. This is a very Ron Howard move. Because John Favreau is just kind of a very, he's a very journeyman director. Like he doesn't really have a huge like personal stamp. Um, so, I mean, maybe in that respect, that's sort of a Kathleen Kennedy move or just finding someone to fit the brand. Um, I know, I know it's depressing, but, um, yeah, maybe that's their thinking. I don't know. And he does have a little bit of TV experience. He was the executive producer for, uh, the about a boy show and, uh, he ran revolution, which is that short lived sort of post-apocalyptic show, like post lost show. And, and he's directed a lot of like pilots of shows. Like he directed the pilot for the Oroville and all that stuff. But yeah. But showrunners are typically writers and not one of the shows on his list is something that I was excited about, right? He so he's an Emmy nominee for Dinner for Five, which mm-hmm. and that was in two thousand five, and that was in a narrative show, too, right? So. And since then we've had About a Boy, we've had Revolution. He uh, directed an episode or produced an episode of the um, of Orville, uh, mm-hmm. and like he's the pilot, right? And that's just I just. Nah, you know, we, I would still be irritated that Star Wars is continuing to tell a story about a incredibly diverse group of beings because they're not all humans, right? It's not all people fighting against a monotonous white in terms of their actual outfits, (laughs) Outfits, uh, force that wants homogeny and order, right? by continuing to hire just white dudes. Um, Maureen Ryan has done some really great writing about how staggering the statistics are there, and I encourage you to go there. But mm. I, So we would still be having this conversation if they had picked somebody like, say, Vince Gilligan, right? But it would be a different conversation. It would be, <laughs> yes, I'm super interested in what Vince Gilligan could do with the Star Wars universe, but oh my God, couldn't they have hired a woman? Instead it's, oh, John Favreau? Okay, why yeah. couldn't they it, have hired a woman? <laughs> it's it's more of or the, the of mediocre color, white guy. Like it's the mediocrity shocking. of the white guy in question. Yeah. Uh, shocker of shockers, they could have hired a person who is both not white and female. Like, they yeah. they could have done <laughs> yeah. any number of things. And instead, we just, we're going to spend some time with John Favreau. And I just am Woo-hoo. not super Another cis-head white guy. Maybe they felt a rush to, like, fill the gap now that, like, Rebels just ended. I don't know. Yeah. Well, whatever. You know what else I feel whatever Pshaw. about? And we're going to, we're doing this, Kate, because you are mm-hmm. on the show and there is only one week left of this show. So we have <laughs> to talk about it. I really wish that we had found a way to put 
both be on the show at a time when there is a decent episode of RuPaul's Drag mm-hmm. Race All-Stars, but it looks like it's not meant to be. So before we take a break, I'd just love to know your thoughts on that um, mm, interesting episode of RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. Hey, how about Nancy Pelosi, right? That was pretty awesome. <laughs> woke, woke Bay Nancy Pelosi. She, yeah. I mean, that was cool. It was like the one time that Lisa Kudrow was there for five minutes and then left and didn't come back. Um, yeah, but, but I still love just the Queen's reactions to totally. her, especially Trixie. Like, they're all, like, losing their minds that Nancy Pelosi was in the workroom. It was awesome. And then the, the bit later about... Um, you know, while they're deliberating, the judges are calling the representatives was super fun. And yeah. I, you know, the more, especially because to my understanding, uh, which may be inaccurate, but I, as I understand it, um, Ru- RuPaul's Drag Race has a younger uh, audience base. And that set of the uh, American populace supremely undervotes. Like it's embarrassing how the low, how low that age group gets, you know, like the, the 18 to like or young 20s how low their voting rates are. Uh, so if it gets anybody to register and get out there, that's a great thing. Um, so that says a lot about this episode that that is my takeaway. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I think we call that damning with faint praise. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that those things struck me as well. Uh, I, I could say something positive and that Trixie Mattel is getting much, much better about doing the fun, pithy, uh, direct-to-camera monologues that still seem, like, alive and unplanned. Like, they mm-hmm. seem spur of the moment. They've always been funny, but they're a little bit more realistic now. So there's that. I like the uh, the looks on the runway. I thought they were pretty much all terrific and mm-hmm. super fun. Um, and the writing for their sketch thing was just bad like worse than usual i mean some of the queens managed to do something with it and if bendela was still there she would have managed to do something with it as well but just like it was it was real bad yep it was frustratingly bad um and that lip sync was just terrible and i don't think the show knows it was terrible trixie did fine and what shangela is very charismatic but like uh i know what's gonna win me this i'm gonna put on a fat suit because that's hilarious I'm not on board really like super not on board and was very irritated and then they had on adorable Chris Colfer and gave him nothing to do why do they keep booking these perfect guest judges and then giving them nothing to do why couldn't Chris I mean don't get me wrong Russ Matthews is far and away my favorite of the returning judges right like Mm -hmm. he's always really fun but why couldn't Chris Colfer have been the one directing them in that terrible stupid fake movie and why on earth did they put Black Swan in it like what who are the people who's writing this shit and what do I have to do to encourage them to hire somebody else? Because between this, where they just picked like six movies at random and then did nothing with any of them, and except for like including lines from the wrong Julia Roberts movie, and the Handmaid's Tale thing, which was the like an unbelievable letdown, like could not have been a bigger letdown. I just don't understand who it is that they have scripting for them and what like wh- who the line producer is or whatever, because my God, what a mess. Like what an incredible mess. Colford did a pretty good Emma Stone. That is true. That was a very good Emma Stone impression. That was a very good Emma Stone. It was much better than Kennedy's. Oh, God. Yeah. Kennedy's like well, they had five queens. Two of them did a good job and three of them were just bad just like straight up 
bad. Uh, so that's not a good sign <laughs> with your top five. Uh, and then now your top four. Uh, so it really is the two, two person race at this point. It better be. I, I will say that despite that, I think that's why we're going right into season 10 because see, I'm pretty stoked for season 10. Me too. Based on, and they're pushing it hard. I think they're like, oh, pay attention to the end of all stars. Oh, shiny judges. Look at who's going to be like, and so the, 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 People they're bringing on for season 10 to, to be guest judges are amazing. Um, very excited about most of them. And I think that's what they're really focusing on at this point. I have to, I have to hope that RuPaul and the, the, you know, all of their judges, but also all of their um, writers are more engaged and more creative in season 10 than they are here in All Stars 3. Yeah, that list of guest judges is insane. And I'm so excited for Kumail Nanjiani and Emily Gordon in particular. Yeah, uh, like, yeah, that's gonna be amazing, um, Clint. I think I feel like I'm gonna have to talk you into starting with season ten. Yeah, I feel like uh, if there's a good jumping on point, uh, having Emily Gordon and Camille Nanjiani be guest judges might might do it for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she tweeted um, that the only reason she even wanted to attempt to work in show business was so that she could be a guest judge on RuPaul's Drag Race, and now she's going to retire. <laughs> so um, yeah. I'm excited about that. Well, uh, I think being optimistic about the next season is a pretty good place to leave Drag Race, which we probably won't talk about next week because I'm so disappointed. Maybe there'll be a great finale and I'll pick it, but I doubt it. Uh, and with that, we're going to take a quick break and be right back. Hey, this is still TV Party. Don't touch that dial. I don't know. Podcasts are strange. So uh, we've reached a segment that we call Overly Specific Thing of the Week, and I am super excited about this one because every week we've done this, (laughs) I've listed some examples, things like it could be the pratfall of the week, or it could be the performance of the week, or it could be, I don't know, the wig of the week. And I'm very excited to talk about the wig of the week, but let's start with Clint's pick for his overly specific thing of the week. Mine is the, hey, I know that guy of the week. Uh, Netflix just put out a uh, just sort of a limited cooking competition show called Nailed It, which I think is based on a series of viral videos where amateur cooks are trying to replicate these like really intricate, expertly designed uh, bakery works, confections, if you will. And uh, the show as a whole is like, it's okay. It's thoroughly, it's thoroughly right. And Nicole Byer is the host and she's a hoot. Um, but the reason I want to highlight it is the assistant director for the show who shows up uh, every episode for like two seconds as he wheels out the prize that the person who wins the first round gets uh, is my friend Wes from high school who has <laughs> who has become a cameraman and assistant director. He's done stuff on Cosmos and stuff. But the major reason I'm pointing this out is that I don't know if I'm just thirsty this week between Terry Chen and this, but uh, Wes is incredibly attractive. He's a very Hemsworthy kind of burly guy with this, these long flowing Norwegian locks. Apparently like he's actually getting some attention on Twitter for being the hot guy from Nailed It. And I, I was just sort of like, I know this guy from like junior high. So it's really, really, I was like best friends with his brother in like when I, when we were kids. So like it feels weird to see someone that I like actually know on my television and uh, in such a weird little role. But it's great to see like for two seconds every episode of Nailed It, uh, Nicole Byer just shouting out, Wes, Wes, come out here. And he's just like wheeling out. Uh, a stand mixer in a tight t-shirt um so that's my pick for the week (laughs) that's fun that's always a fun feeling isn't it when you see you're like oh that person that commercial is that used to go to my dentist's office or whatever (laughs) right it's always fun kate what about you 
I, on the other side of the coin, I have the nightmare fuel of the week, <laughs> uh, which is this week on uh, X-Files, the episode was familiar. They There was this uh, like TV, like kids TV character that uh, Batty took the form of called Mr. Chuckleteeth. Uh, have either of you guys <laughs> seen a picture of Mr. Chuckleteeth? I have not. I'm going to look at him now. Oh, I have. It was um, on the lead image on Zach Hanlon's X-Files review, so I have seen it. And it was, was terrifying. Ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, like, pardon the language, everyone. It's fucking creepy. Oh, God. Um, so, so, and it, it's just like a, it's a, a, a nice suit, tailored suit, skinny actor, uh, so like long limbs and lines and everything, very crisp lines. It's very Slenderman kind of thing. Very Slenderman-y. And then this kind and the fact that it's in a suit, the, the, the creature or whatever has a suit, so like you can raise the shoulders a little bit and the whole body goes up, you know? And so then you use this head and these with these very thin lines. It, it really works for a uh, like a, a kid's show kind of thing. Because it's the kind of thing where you could imagine drawing like a stick figure and then, or like a triangle and then the arms and the, and the, the super creepy, overly wide grinning uh, mouth with the eyes pointed opposite direction. It's, it's super creepy. So um, I don't know specifically who's responsible for that, but shout out to the costume designer credited at IMDb for the episode, uh, who is Katrina McCarthy. Um, because, yeah, it was a really run-of-the-mill kind of episode, but the the it was very predictable scares and everything, but really well executed. And a big part of that is how super creepy Mr. Chuckleteeth is. So good job, X-Files. <laughs> His hair game's on point, I will say yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, like oh, man. Mr. Chuckleteeth popping out from behind a tree, you know, just like, <laughs> yeah. ugh, and then scampering away. Oh, super God. Creepy. A creepy scamper or like scurry or skitter, any of those is so unsettling. Okay, so obviously I have to watch that episode. I love Nightmare Fuel. Uh, speaking of Nightmare Fuel and speaking of great hair, my pick <laughs> for wig of the week is not RuPaul's Drag Race, where <gasps> the wigs were extremely disappointing. It is Damien Dark's Javier Bardem wig from no country for old dads i laughed so hard it's so um, great it's per- and the fact that it's blonde like yeah it's just the, the perfect detail because it would have been way too easy to have it just look exactly like his wig in no country for old men instead by just making sure that he still looks like damien dark but he's got this javier bardem hair uh, it just nailed that joke. And every time he flipped it, first of all, it's a great wig. Like it lays yeah. really naturally. That It just is really well made. But he every time he turned his head and his hair would just go like, Fwah! it was just like <laughs> perfect. It was, the, it was a perfect wig. It was a perfect visual joke that you don't have to know anything about that movie to get right like you don't have to know anything about no country for old men to recognize that wig and even if you don't all you're really missing out on is a great joke for film nerds it's the kind of thing where every once in a while i'm just gonna think about it and laugh and that's really (laughs) great like that's the mark of a really really great visual gag and really great reference where nobody needs to feel excluded but if you get it it just deepens your experience that much more so um so yeah god i laughed so hard i could i 
really can't believe that that's the well that Legends is going to. They're like, you know, I know. Why don't we go Cohen Brothers for this one? We'll give right. him we'll give him that wig from No Country for Old Men, and then we'll call it a day. And it just made me laugh so hard. It's great, yeah. And I totally agree uh, that you don't even need to be well versed in the Cohen Brothers to to enjoy that wig because I love the internal gag of the wig, which is it's ostensibly meant to make him look what 40, 50 years younger, but it, it's still Neil <laughs> McDonough's old like older 50s face but it's just masked by this luxurious blonde mane and it's just it's so great and yeah and he's having so much fun flipping it around yeah agreed we're all it's fabulous yeah Yeah. agreed good thumbs up well um that pretty much wraps up this week we just experienced maybe it's time to talk about next week Sounds good. Uh, Allison, what's your pick for next week on TV Party? So I am a little hesitant about this pick because some of the early press has not been awesome, but I am very excited about Rise. Gritty Glee. Yeah, well, you know, it's that is, I think, a, I'm hoping that that is a reductive approach. Perhaps, um, yeah. I, I know that it has both football and music, which is, it's like it's Friday Night Glee. You know, the, it could go either way. It really could, but... Um, Uh, In addition to having some really great talent behind the camera, like just an incredible showrunner and a producer from Hamilton and some other really great things, uh, it also features some young performers who I think are really terrific. And I'm just very much looking forward to seeing them do their thing and to hearing Moana sing some more music, which I'm very excited about. Ellen, you're just way more optimistic than I am. Everything about it looks terrible to me. As much (laughs) as I appreciate Moana getting cast and stuff, uh, the actress, uh, um, Auli something? A-U? Yeah, Auli Cravalho. Yeah, Cravalho, yeah. She's fabulous, but like, no. No. (laughs) I'm always just wary of TV shows with really generic titles that are usually just like one vague word. Rise. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Well, I'm a huge Friday Night Lights fan. So, um, so like I am optimistic for that reason, if no other. Uh, Kate, what's your pick for next week? Um, well, I want to just mention quickly that Bob's Burgers is coming back, uh, which I've been I've missed it so much. And also, it's not airing next week, but the like the next episode of Supernatural is going to be on March 29th. And that's this their crossover with Scooby-Doo called Scooby Natural. <laughs> what? So I'm, oh, my God. Oh, do you not know about this? No, I didn't know about this. Yeah. No, every no one season. Told me. They do like a comedy kind of episode on Supernatural, and so like which they've all been for the all the ones I've seen have been amazing and tied in really distinctly with the character progressions for the you know the individual characters, but also like the arc of this. They do a really good job of threading that needle over on Supernatural. Honestly, better than any other show I can think of. And this year (laughs) they're doing a crossover with Scooby Doo, and it's going to be animated, and I'm very excited. But that's not next week. So uh, go watch the trailer and wait for that one. The one that's airing next week that I guess I'm most excited about is The Flash uh, Run Iris Run, which is probably gonna you know I don't know that it's necessarily going to be a good episode um, but I'm excited <laughs> for Candace Patton to get more to do uh, she's really one of the strongest parts of that show whenever they give her something to do she's terrific and so I'm excited for her to get to step a little bit more into the forefront in the ne- this next episode I assume considering she's got speedster powers in the next one um, and you know they're, I'm sure they'll undo everything by the end of the episode but you know I appreciate them actually giving Iris a, a spotlight episode, as I assume this one will be. Please, please, Flash, don't make it all about uh, Barry's man pain because he doesn't have his superpowers for a little bit. 
Yeah, I guess between that and I heard that Flash time wasn't all that bad. Like, maybe it's a good time to dip back into the Flash. I sort of fell off it. Yeah, I enjoyed Flash time. I mean, it kind of it breaks some of the rules of the show as far as how fast Barry can go and everything. But it was uh-huh. a, it was a good bottle episode, good standalone episode. So, um, so my pick is uh. Along a similar vein to Bob's Burgers coming back, another Fox sitcom that I really enjoy is coming back, and that's Brooklyn Nine-Nine uh, for their spring premiere called Safe House. Um, I don't know a whole lot about the episode itself, but I'm very intrigued by the title Safe House because, as Jake Peralta once said to Captain Holt, uh, a safe house watching Safe House is a safe, safe house house. So, uh, I don't know. For I, Season five's been really, really on point. The ensemble is really solidified. I really like the way they've incorporated uh, Stephanie Beach is coming out as bisexual into the Rosa Diaz uh, character as well. So I'm really interested to see like what where they go with that. And um, most shows, a wedding can be the kiss of death, but uh, I, I ship Amy and Jake. So I, I think that might end up being an entertaining episode of television. I don't know if that's going to happen in this one, but uh, I don't know. I'm just generally excited for the back half of season five, especially because it's been so long since Brooklyn Nine-Nine was on the air. I just can't wait for Gina. That's Rodriguez what to I was going to say. I can't wait for Gina to show up. That's yeah. like my one of my most anticipated TV moments of the spring will be the Gina Rodriguez guest spot on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I think that's going to yeah. be amazing. Well, it's... Uh, going to be a crowded rest of March. There are so many really great things on the horizon. One of those great things you can look for this week, which is Kate, Clint, and I are working on a list with Latoya Ferguson of the best teens in TV history. It's been a, a contentious list-making process. We keep yeah. trying to determine <laughs> who is actually a teen. Um, who right. counts as a teen? Like, Which teens are we going to include? Which teens are we not going to include? Are we including non-human teens? The answer to that is yeah. yes. Um, so I'm very excited about that. You can look for that this week, uh, as well as some reviews of some of the shows we've talked about, some others that we haven't. And thanks for listening this week. We're going to leave you with our Discovery special title of the week. Clint, hit us. Yes, uh, this one is actually on the Travel Channel, and it is Mysteries at the Museum, Million Dollar Dinner, Thing in the Woods, and Cornstalk Colonel. <laughs> What? Well, question mark? <laughs> um, I presume yeah. Mysteries at the Museum is the show title. I I, th- I looked it up on Futon Critic and I didn't actually like pay attention to what it said because it was really boring. But um, Thing in the Woods. Thing in the Woods, I think, is the one that really, really gets me. Um, or, per- I mean, perhaps Cornstalk Colonel. The whole thing. The whole thing is just a huge mystery to me. Um, and perhaps that's one that needs to be solved. Uh, like Cornstalk Colonel sounds like a... A distant cousin to Mr. Chuckleteeth to me. That sounds just terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm just imagining Mr. Chuckleteeth peering out from from some corn stalks from cornfield. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's Ooh. fun. Thanks for that. Thanks for that. You're welcome. You're welcome. Enjoy the rest of your Saturday. Woo! <laughs> yeah. All right, we're about to sign off now, but stick around if you want to hear more spoilery discussion of Jessica Jones season two. Well, uh, now that we've provided you with some night, you know what we should do? We should have Mr. Chuckleteeth wearing the Javier Bardem wig in the yes. woods. <laughs> 
And then yes. he can lip sync for his life and that'll be just about perfect. Or he can sing a <laughs> stirring ballad as a high school girl. I don't know. We'll figure Sounds something good. out. This is the, the, uh, our whole episode in microcosm. <laughs> well, that is a pretty solid way to end then. Thank you so much for listening. As always, you can find us on Twitter at TV Party COS. You can also find us individually. I'm at Allison Chu and you can hear me on the podcasts Debating Doctor Who and Podlander Drunkcast and Outlander Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Alcoholywood and you can also hear me on the podcasts Alcoholywood and Nathan Rabin's Happy Cast. And you can find me over at The Televerse and you can find me on Twitter at The Televerse. The Televerse is my other weekly TV podcast. If, <laughs> if you want to hear even more thoughts and there are so many to, 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 to listen to and, and to contribute to. So uh, check me out there. And if you have a question you'd like answered, you can reach out to us at any of those Twitter handles or on the Consequence of Sound Facebook page or any other place. I mean, I guess you could like find me at the grocery store if you're in Chicago. A little creepy. Send a raven. Yeah, just as long as you're not wearing that wig, um, that's that's cool with me. You can leave us a review on iTunes or Podchaser, and uh, and I believe also Google Play Music and Stitcher, or whatever podcast platform you like. TV Party is a production of the Consequence Podcast Network. Check out our expanding roster of music, film, and television podcast programming at consequenceofsound.net. This show is recorded and produced in Chicago, Illinois, and recorded and engineered by wig-wearing corn hider Clint Worthington. It's so luxurious. <laughs> thank you so much to Kate for being here, as she so often is. Thank you to you for listening, and thank you to television for being a thing you can watch when you're high on cold medicine. Woo! Have a lovely Monday. To wigs. <laughs> <laughs> to cold meds. Bye. 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 For those of you who kept listening after we enthusiastically said goodbye, uh, we are still here talking about Jessica Jones at this point. It's just me and Clint. Poor Kate has wandered off in a haze of cough medicine to maybe go see A Wrinkle in Time while, we wish you know, her well. in a cloud. Um, so yeah, the thing I want to talk about right now really fast before my partner comes back in the apartment, because <laughs> he's not <laughs> as far as I am, is the big reveal that the mysterious character Janet McTeer is playing is Jessica Jones's mother. Um, it is a, a superhero trope, absolutely. It is a bit of a stretch, absolutely. But I'm so interested in the tension between this person who has this strength, um, has more strength, but who also has lost the ability to regulate her emotions and to um, make decisions that are rational when she is in one of these rages. Um that's a really interesting foil for what for the story they're painting for Jessica for this season for this person who is constantly like there's the shot when she's being arrested where she's looking inside the van at this mutilated body and saying that's not me that's not me that's not me more to herself than to the cops and I think that that makes for uh, what they're doing with Janet McTeer's character makes for a very interesting point of comparison and I'm curious about what you think Clint no, I, I totally agree that uh, I'm a little wary as well of leaning on that whole like superhero thing where, oh, well, well and that thing in drama, really, where it all boils down to parental issues. But I would say as a as a contrast to season one, where Kilgrave represented this more external pressure and conflict that uh, that a lot of women have to uh, to deal with to this more internal thing for Jessica as a character, sort of seeing this, uh, like you said before, when we were talking about this uh, reflection of her own worst instincts and maybe seeing if by defeating her, she's 
symbolically, you know, overcoming those those issues and, and sort of dealing with them and achieving closure. I, I hope it turns out well. I don't think it's going to be inherently as fascinating as 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 the novelty of Kilgrave because a superhero having to deal with the mirror image of themselves as the villain is a pretty well-worn thing at this point, uh, especially in Marvel. Like the very first Marvel villain was Jeff Bridges in Iron Man. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing where they go with it. Janet McTeer is a fantastic actress, and uh, she has the, she has the physicality for it too. Like she she really seems like she's throwing herself into the action stuff, which which will make for some really fun throwdowns. I think. I think it's a really interesting place to start the second half of this season, but seems very organic from where the first half of the season took us. And in mm-hmm. uh, the episode, AKA I want your cray cray, um, the, the way <laughs> which is a flashback which, episode. Yeah. Yes. The way in which they explore the history while making sure that it's still incredibly re- relevant to what's going on in the present, particularly in Trisha's storyline as well. Um, I think that's the mark of really smart writing. There is a little bit of retconning, particularly in um, this relationship of Jessica's that we learn about that we had never Sterling. seen before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I can, de- if it's ex- well executed, I can handle a little retconning. You know, one of my, it wouldn't be an episode of TV party if we didn't find a way to work in a reference to Dr. Who. One of my very favorite characters <laughs> in all of the Dr. Who universe is a character who got retconned in after the death of another actor. So, um, you know, <laughs> I can handle Sterling because he's no Wilfred Mott, but I can handle yeah. a little retconning if the story works. And I think it does here. There are certain bits in episode seven that I like and dislike about that retconning. Like, uh, I like seeing the origin story of the leather jacket. Um, I like seeing the way she uses her powers in this very unscrupulous way when she, you know, when she's younger. But I also sort of rankle a bit at her naming her PI company after like this club that her boyfriend was going to start uh and then never did mostly because because alias already works well as the name of a pi company anyway so it feels a little on the nose it feels a little like square peg round hole Mm -hmm. but um i mostly i liked the janet mcteer bits of the flashback thing a lot more because because we got to see a lot more of her character and that, that weird subtle horror of seeing the sort of the jekyll hyde uh, side to her character like that scene with the nurses was really really frightening and and seeing Callum Keith Rennie another Vancouver based character actor that I adore um, be sort of the angel on her shoulder at least for a little bit right now is really really interesting it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward as we mentioned earlier Clint and I have both seen through episode seven um, so basically we got through the big reveal that we were just discussing and the flashback episode that we were just discussing uh, to what seems like a major turning point setting up the rest of the season and nothing else so some of you listening probably know exactly what's happening and you're you know chuckling to yourself quietly about how super wrong we are um yeah but that's part of the joy of tv i think yeah indeed, indeed. in the era of the binge uh right any you know it's like how fast can you watch 14 hours of television Right, exactly. Like how how much free time do we really have? Because also JJ's not the only show we have to watch. We have to watch a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, I miss watching TV for fun. Yeah. Anyway, we will almost certainly be revisiting Jessica Jones next week. Once Clint and I have both gotten through the back half of this season, I'm very excited about that and very excited to talk more about the terrific work Janet McTeer is doing. But I think for mm-hmm. now, we both are going to go enjoy our Saturdays, um, not through a haze of cold medicine, and uh, hopefully we'll be, you know, healthy next week. Yes. See you then. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. 
Consequence Podcast Network.